Welcome to The How of Business with your host, Henry Lopez, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here is your host. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez. My guest today is Charles McCarrick. Charles, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks, Henry. Uh, boy, I'm, I'm really excited to be here on your podcast. I, I can't believe it's happening. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I'm looking forward to this conversation as well. You know, and the question I have for you listening is if you're planning to start a business or grow an existing business, then how can you look at transforming your personal qualities to help you achieve success? You know, because a lot of us, certainly I know for me, when you first come into small business, we don't have experience in business. And so Charles is with me today to share insights and stories from his great new book, which I've had the chance to preview, Lessons My Brothers Taught Me. If you want to receive more information about the Howard business, including the show notes page for this episode and how you can continue supporting my show and receive exclusive content and discounts through a Patreon membership, please visit thehowabusiness.com. I also encourage you to please subscribe to my show so you don't miss any new episodes. So let me tell you a little bit more about Charles. Charles D. McCarrick is an entrepreneur, inventor, and lead visionary and founder of MicroAnt. We'll get more into what MicroAnt does, but but to suffice it at a high level, they're, as they call it, a bespoke antenna design and manufacturer. He has uh, more than 10 patents to his name. He pioneers and supplies unique equipment to the communications industry through MicroAnt. And Charles' most defining characteristic is enthusiasm. You'll get that in this conversation from new ideas, from the people he works with, and from continuous improvement. By cultivating people's confidence and creativity, Charles has forged a top-notch team that delivers new technologies into the hands of customers and value to investors. Now he delivers this book of life lessons to all of us. Charles, again, is the author of Lessons My Brothers Taught Me, How to Transform Your Personal Qualities into a Successful Business. Charles currently lives in Jacksonville, Florida, so right up 95 from where I live. Charles McCarrick, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot, Henry. I really appreciate it. So first question is, where, where did you grow up? I was born in Middleborough, Massachusetts, and I lived there until I was about nine years old. Uh, and then uh, my father had passed away. So my brother, who was in the army at the time, he was uh, honorably discharged, and he wanted to go visit his friends out in Arizona who were going to Arizona State University. Interesting. And he talked uh, my mother into moving out there, so being nine. And I, I was, uh, I went along with her and lived out in Arizona for about 10 years, then eventually moved back to Massachusetts, I started my business. And now I am down here in Jacksonville, Florida. Yeah. What brought you to Jacksonville? I'm curious. As the business was growing, we were doing more and more manufacturing. And I had uh, met someone who was giving me some advice on how to expand and grow the business. He uh, eventually became my business partner, Jim. Jim was from Florida, I and see. he suggested that we look into some of the options down in in Florida for manufacturing space, hiring employees, uh, you know, shops and resources of that and the like. And we did that about uh, about twelve, thirteen years ago now, wow. and, and and it was a it was a very good move. It's a great, yeah. great, great move. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful. All right, so introduce MicroAnt. Tell us, tell us briefly what it is that you do. Okay, well, MicroAnt—it's a company I found in two thousand three, 
And uh, what we do is we design and supply custom antennas for the uh, communications industry. Microant stands for microwave antennas, and that's meant to imply that we prim primarily operate in the microwave portion of the radio frequency spectrum. Uh, we supply antennas to anybody who's in the communications industry. We have over 300 customers that we have supplied unique solutions to. Many you've heard of like Lockheed Martin, Boeing, SpaceX, Department of Defense, um, and uh, others like Sirius uh, uh, Satellite Radio. We've done a lot of antennas for them as well. I see. So, yeah, what we offer the customers, you know, is being a unique antenna solution, you know, it is exclusive use of, uh, of an antenna that offers them a performance advantage over their competitors. And we don't sell to their competitors. That uh, solution uh, is unique to them. Got it. Got it. And and before MicroAnt, did you have another business or were you working for someone else? I was working uh, for another company up in Massachusetts. So this was your first business venture? Uh, yes, it was my first official business venture other than uh, if you don't want to count selling cook, uh, corn <laughs> and string beans on the side of the road. Right. So did, did you have visions earlier in life of being your own boss? Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> early on, I, even as a kid, I was inventing these uh, various products that uh, I would try to market within my household. And uh, some had more uh, success than others. But <laughs> Yeah, uh, pretty much all through life, I, I had this entrepreneurial itch, mm -hmm. I think. And I, I, I suspected sooner or later I was going to uh, start and run my own business. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I find, Charles, is that people like yourself, and as you recount in, in the book, your brothers as well, who are just inventor types, always curious about inventing, don't necessarily uh, have or develop the business skills of it, but you seem to have been able to combine to both. Yes. Well, you know, I, I, I received those, uh, skills. If you want to call them skills, but it's reason that experience anyway, on the job, I had yeah. no formal training. I didn't go to college. I wasn't, uh, academically trained, but I, I picked them up because you know, I had to, in order to survive. Interesting. Even as an engineer, you 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 did not go to college. You did not complete university. Is that correct? No, no. I went to college. You went to school. Yeah, that's yeah, right. But I, not for I, business, I, is what you meant. Not a single uh, class in business. No. Sure, sure. Yeah, and that's what I was getting to. Is that often for people with your background, technology background, engineering background, inventors don't necessarily know how to then take that. They often invent for others. But you've been able to now take that and, and create for yourself, meaning for your business. That's a really good point. And, you know, something that a big trend that I've seen in universities at the university I graduated at and others that I've spoken at, UVA in particular, they now have entrepreneurial programs. Sure. That they're teaching, not just in the College of Business, but also in the College of Engineering. I right. talked to a, a group uh, of couple months back and more than half of the students were from the college of engineering. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about the book, start to get into the book again. It's entitled lessons. My brothers taught me. And the question I always ask of authors is, is why did you write the, the book and who is it for? Well, you know, I, I wrote it during uh, the initial COVID outbreak, Interesting. which seems to have to been the impetus for a, for a lot of you know, mm -hmm. similar endeavors for other people. Um, I had 
set up the company such that uh, only essential people could report at that time. And essential people were defined as those who laid their hand on the product or who managed people who were laying their hand on the product. So that was not me. So I found myself at home with a lot of time in my hands and I was doing a lot of sewing and other things. And I was just musing about all the things the company had gone through. I was looking at the financials again and again in the past history. And I said, you know, we've had a really remarkable success, even in the face of you know, countless obstacles. How, how the hell did that happen? Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and I wrote it more or less as a journal to myself to explain uh, what, uh, you know, to try to chronicle the various things that took place. So that I would have a better understanding. So in many respects, I wrote the book for myself. Yeah, because but, it's part of that process where all of us, we, we try to become consciously competent, right? Why is it that right. I'm good at what I do? That, that's exactly right. And I, I think I succeeded at that because I, I thought it was just going to be a lot of anecdotes string, strung together. But I was able to see a trend and then I put together a theme and, and now I, I, I better understand it. And in so doing, I said, you know, there might be something of value here to others, to others who uh, maybe would be entrepreneurs or early in their business or maybe professionals in a career or, or leaders or what have you that might find not only some of these uh, anecdotes interesting, but uh, also some of the concepts. So I reformatted the manuscript into a combination memoir guidebook. Mm-hmm. And my target reader, I would say, is the would-be entrepreneur you know, mm-hmm. or any professional looking to develop an idea into a venture, you know, th- though they lack uh, a background in business. Yeah, excellent. Thanks for sharing that. And as, as you we're starting to allude to as when you read the book, it's filled with all of these, not just anecdotes and summaries and lessons, but stories from your childhood. And it seems like your brothers, Hank and Bill, were either intent on uh, eliminating you from the face of the earth or educating you, as you say, right? <laughs> or maybe both. And that's, right. that's what ended up being. Where do you think that it seems like there was this, this tremendous, which is often the case in larger families or with brothers, this incredible co- competitive nature. But as you also said, it just turns out that everybody in this family seems to have been very curious people or young people. And now all of that was going on at once in your house, it seems like. That's right. And I, you know, growing up with uh, there's five boys in the household and my Jeez. sister, who was the oldest and kind of isolated from all these antics, it, it all seemed quite normal to me. It, I think the first line, uh, the opening line in the book is uh, something like, uh, my brothers were passionate about my education. Yes. And it, that, that's a little tongue in cheek because I think what they were really passionate <laughs> about was providing amusement for themselves. Amusement for themselves <laughs> and, and a, a test dummy, right? For all of their experiments, especially with electricity. Electricity. Well, that's right. And my brother Hank actually characterized me as being a test dummy for some of his experiments. They were always experimenting with things, you know, or inventing or introducing us to new concepts or just trying to scare the hell out of us. <laughs> and by us, I mean, you know, me, uh, my brother Dickie, and then eventually my younger brother, Michael, after he was born. So uh, I, I call them lessons now. I call them an education now, though at the time, you know, I would talk episodes that I simply wanted to survive. Yeah. Now but, that the wounds have healed, you can call them lessons. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but so whether it was their intent or not, you know, but they they did ed- educate me on what it was like to be a team player and how to navigate, you know, uh, if not entirely avoid obstacles and to take responsibility. 
How, what role do you think your parents played in fostering that environment of creativity, of experimentation? Well, my father uh, was an electrical engineer and he worked at Texas Instruments. So I think the genes of curiosity and engineering were, uh, were I think we all inherited those, particularly my older brothers. They, they considered themselves engineers, even at very young ages. Um, and my mom was also always brilliant and a heart of gold and a great cook and all these things. How she ever managed mm. all of us. Oh, my poor mother. I imagine. You know, I, when I think of the, the things that we had, you know, put her through, but somehow it, it, it all worked. And, you know, there's, it was, I would say, a, you know, a very compassionate and you know, loving household. And certainly we were encouraged to do uh, some of these inventions and activities, but so long as we weren't hurting ourselves. But it's interesting that you bring in you know, my parents to this because many of these things that took place were not done under adult supervision. <laughs> you know, under the, the, the privacy of, uh, you know, of uh, either they had gone out for the night and my older brothers were left alone with us or we were in some situation outside of the house that we got caught up into this. Yeah, I can imagine. All right, one of the key, um, I don't know, prem- not premises, but, but, but tools or, or processes that you put forward in the book is what you call the 4S transform tool. Would you uh, introduce that and then we'll dive into that a little bit. What is the 4S transform tool? Okay, now, again, this is something that uh, came to me after I was reading the book and trying to put it all together. Mm. As I, I read through the various uh, situations that we had, character played an enormous role in both getting us into the issue and getting us out of it. I mean, us, I mean, we as a company. It was generally the, uh, the bad character of, of customers, of vendors, or others trying to take advantage of us. And yet our good character of seeing things through, of always looking out for and having the employees back, developing a good culture, those things you know, that were character-related, I, it, it came to me that those were the most essential elements to our success. And I brought, I, I broke those characters into four categories, the so-called 4S transform. Uh, as a tool, it's still a work in progress. And, uh, you know, as I continue to gather data from various particip- participants, I'm helping others launch their business. Uh, others already have launched their business. And as, as I said, I've uh, taught this to, uh, we're in our second class now, entrepreneurial class at UVA. All right. Uh, but, okay. Yeah. But what, what, the, what the 4S transforms is really is, uh, let me begin by explaining the four S's, right? Yes. Uh, S number one is sellability. S number two is sensibility. S3 is sustainability. And the fourth S is scalability. And uh, if you like, I can uh, provide a little bit more detail of each of those. Yeah, give me, a, if you would, a highlight on, on the four of them to make sure we understand what, what you mean by these four S's. Okay. Now, the uh, scalability, uh, excuse, sorry, excuse me. The scalability, uh, uh, yes. <laughs> Good. Uh, it, it means that uh, it's, it, it's what you project. It's the character tra- traits that you possess in which others observe in you. It's like being trustworthy, 
right. uh, collaborative, enthusiastic, capable. I the see. same things that would get me through uh, scenarios with my older brothers. You know, I didn't run off crying and tell tell mom. You know, I would <laughs> I, I would see these things through, right? And uh, so, if if you are recognize somebody as having integrity and the wherewithal to execute your part of the transaction, they they would much rather uh, prefer dealing with you than somebody who is lacking those qualities. So sellability, uh, you know, are simply the character traits that uh, we possess that makes others want to interact with us. I see. You know? And, and it just, allows us to, to share and communicate and, and lead others uh, to follow your idea, to follow what, what you're trying to achieve either collectively or individually, right? That's okay. right. That people fair? likely that that, yeah. that that is exactly right. People like like you, they're more apt to want to interact with you. And I think it is necessary for all leaders to have because a leader, as I define my book, is somebody that others are willing to follow. And right. You, that the only way they're going to follow you is if you possess the character of sellability. Okay. So let, let me interrupt here. Do, do I have to have attributes or qualities in all four of these areas or not necessarily? No, not necessarily. And okay. there are going to be different degrees right, right. Of, of, of character too. Yeah. All right. So that's saleability. Sensibility is number two. Sensibility is essentially having situational awareness uh -huh. of being mindful of the character of others that you are dealing with. It also you know, incorporates understanding of adapting to industry needs, uh, permitting to shape your products and services to be you know, of maximum value. Sensibility goes a long way toward getting you through obstacles, if not avoiding mm -hmm. them outright in the first place. Mm -hmm. it, uh, traits include being curious, inquisitive, interested, and in, even in uh, seemingly minute uh, details. But also um, reading the room, reading the situation, anticipating your brothers are trying to electrocute you, you know, those kind of things. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> well, no, not just anticipating it, but having been electrocuted, having the yes. sensibility to sensibility. not, how, not do it again. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You know, and so, yeah. But uh, that, that is a good point, though, because in business, that's part of what we're learning from our errors. And, and one of the things we do have a responsibility for is to avoid repeating the same mistakes. Yeah. That, that is exactly right. You know, and so, you know, sellability coupled with sensibility, that, that really facilitates the roadmap. Know, for, for achieving the, the objectives that you have and for shaping your business and also how it will be perceived in the uh, in, in the industry and, and its reputation. Excellent. Number three is sustainability. Okay. Sustainability is more oriented to the business. The, the business itself, I, I differentiate a company from a business. A, a, you know, a, a business are the operations that, uh, that are being transacted internally and externally, but a company are a group of people working together for a, uh, toward a common goal. And so uh, sustainability means that you are operating as a business, as a team or as a group. It means uh, the company is... Uh, it is run by a team and does not rely on any single person to operate. It also means that uh, you have found your niche. You are serving the demand competently and timely. It uh, means the business is beginning to gener generate equity, income, and jobs. What uh, it also means is that you have processes, plans, and the like in place such that 
it that is what is defining the operation, not personal or independent thinking, but rather the company as a whole, as a shared collective, working together towards that goal. And uh, that's that's truly what you need: sustainability. No, I didn't say anything about money. No, money yeah, yeah. is it helps us, right? But I'm not talking about economic sustainability. And if I was following correctly, it's where you found yourself with MicroAnt at the beginning of the pandemic. You, it, The business was not dependent on Charles being there every day, directing every move, right? You had that achieved is a, that. That is a, an astute observation, and that is true. Um, now, I, what uh, I, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. I was going to say, I, uh, I would say that the company does not rely on any single person to succeed going into the future. We would be a lesser company for losing that personality, but you know, we, we are certainly are sustainable. Correct. Uh, so with sustainability though, I, I'm, is, do I still tie that one back to a personal quality? What, what is the personal quality that I'm uncovering that allows me to create a sustainable organization? It doesn't happen by itself. If it does happen by itself, boy, then I, it was one of the things I didn't possess, which was luck. I did not have a lot of luck. I would say uh, sensibility. I mean, the sustainability comes in, you're going to grow a good team because you're, you're likable. You have leadership qualities. Mm, you're going to track the type of people that are going to form a team, you know, that will sustain the organization and your sensibility as well, because you know, not only from a product and operational perspective, you understand the necessity of having good plans in place, of uh, making sure you're looking into the character of the individuals that you hire and part of the team. You want to hire people like yourself, people who think like you. You want to certainly be diverse and you want to have a lot of creativity and all that. But your, I would say your values should be aligned. I see. I understand. Okay, and the fourth S in the forest transform is scalability. So tell me about that. Scalability is uh, what's, I would say, necessary for a company to grow. And it's not necessary that all companies grow and continue to grow and grow. Uh, but I think for a, uh, it, it, I define success as providing a lot of jobs, providing a lot of technologies and products that find great value in use, uh, both in the, in, in the industry and the world at large. Uh, and so I want to continue to meet that need, that demand. So that means growing the company. Now, when people talk about growth metrics, they might think of things like, well, uh, we're increasing revenue, we're hiring more people, uh, we're expanding floor space and things like that. Those are, I would say, residual effects of, uh, of growth. But the true scalable growth means that you have increased product output, you've increased product quantity, but you have not compromised on quality. And that's because you have initiated quality-driven processes and you have them throughout the entire company. By, when you have a quality-driven process and you increase your quantity output, you are not compromising, you're not diluting on the product or services that you're providing. You, they are every bit as good as what you delivered in the first place. Now, 
I can think of many chains, coffee chains that mm -hmm. I used to like in the early days, but I'm less enthusiastic now because they have certainly scaled. They are making a lot of money. They are yeah. public. But I would argue that being a person who appreciates a good coffee, that they have really diluted right. the product, both uh, conceptually and in, in actuality. Yeah, in return for more profits or more revenues or whatever the case might be. The personal quality I'm thinking then that I, in part that I bring to bear here for this one is my own my own desire for what I produce into the world being of high quality. Is that part of it? That is right. Because you feel you are driven by satisfying others with something of quality and standing behind it and feeling good about that. Like my mother baking an apple pie, you know, and putting her absolute best effort for it into it. I mean, that is something that anybody can get behind. And so if you, go in with that train of thought, then having like-minded people who are going to follow and have quality inherent in everything that they do, that scalability is it almost happens by itself. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. All right. There's a lot more to this. Obviously you, you got to read the book uh, again. It's called lessons of my brothers taught me how to transform your personal qualities into a successful business. So, We'll move on to this. There's, I think it's one of the first chapters, because this was really compelling to me. You speak to specifically the challenges that I faced and many face in transitioning from a corporate environment to business ownership. In fact, there's a quote here that I, that I want to read to kind of set the stage here to discuss this a little bit, Charles. You said, quote, in my experience, it is quite easy for most people to make the decisions to start the decision to start their own business, but actually taking the leap to leave traditional employment and go into business stops most would-be entrepreneurs in their tracks as though paralyzed by fear, end quote. I think that perfectly describes it. And so <laughs> what, what ends up happening, including myself, is we look for, we keep searching for the, the proof or somebody to tell us, oh, there's no failure is going to happen here. I guarantee it. We keep looking for that. So tell me about that and what you've observed there in making this transition. Okay, uh, my own story is, uh, which, which I wrote about in the book, is that I had been working for a company for about 15 years. It was another antenna company, and I had come on staff there straight out of college. So I was entry level, and over the years, and I worked up myself up to chief scientist, was the top, top position other than president. And the president was actually the owner and founder of that company. And I had my eye on his job as well. Um, and so I had every intention of fulfilling my career there. I thought that uh, one day I would lead the company and uh, I would uh, continue to grow along with it and be a, a positive influence to its culture, its product, as well as its uh, perception in the industry. And then one day I find out that the company was acquired. Hmm. I, you know, I, I was in shock. The, the owner didn't tell any of us. Yeah, he didn't consult this, with you, did he? <laughs> no, he didn't consult with me. And the, the irony is that he had told me that he, uh, you know, he would talk to me about all things affecting the business going forward, like the day before I got this news. So interesting. I, you know, I, I have to tell you, I, I felt the feeling was a betrayal. Yeah. I said, oh. 
And then I, I kind of talked myself down a little bit. I said, well, you know, I thought we were friends, but in reality, I am an employee. He has every mm-hmm. right to do what he wants to do. And, and maybe be knowing in advance doesn't really change much. Yeah. So, and that is true, right? I mean, if you think about his position on it, he may not have been able to tell you. Well, maybe, but I can't imagine what scenario would I, I think he was ill ill advised. Got it. Because you you have to take culture, the co- corporate culture, into every decision that you make, which affects them. And this <laughs> affect culture in a first order of magnitude. This is something that you bring it. I cannot imagine the rationale for not sharing this with uh, with your team. Understood. Understood. So, so that happens to you in that environment. That has to have then kind of shattered that false sense of, of I don't know what the word is, security, or that this is going to be forever, or that I'm in control here. But tell me, what, what, did, what did it do to you? Well, you're right. I realized that what I thought was security was, was really an illusion. I think I had put value in the wrong things. And, and although it shattered, that wasn't the worst of it. <laughs> The worst of it is when I finally met the new owner, came in and wanted to meet with me. And I had, uh, again, this, this is highlights the, the illusions that I was you know, that, that I was under. I thought for sure he would take a look and say, oh my goodness, this guy is longstanding employee. He's generating nearly half of the revenue himself directly. I'm the chief scientist. I'm an antenna expert. They're far and few between. Um, I, I've got to do what I can to help this person uh, to grow and cultiv- cultivate a, a, a long-term relationship with them. So I'm expecting all this uh, bonuses and you know raises and equity and you know a car something, but I go in and there was none of that. Interesting. He was at all interested in me personally, what my aspirations were, what I was hoping to achieve, what my standing was in the company. He saw you as an he, expense, I'm sure. Uh, well, you boy, did you hit the nail on the head because he had some partners and he needed to show them quickly that he was able to make the company more profitable than it was. Mm-hmm. And so his main interest in me was the fact that I was the highest paid employee. Sure. And by cutting my salary 20% and putting that to the bottom line, it would make him look good. Interesting. I, I, I was in shock. Yeah. I said, yeah. I said, this just keeps getting worse and worse. Right. So I, uh, I, I said, okay. He said, well, you know, come back in a week and let's, let's follow up. And then we can, you know, discuss our next, next steps. So I went and I told uh, the HR person, look, I'm going to take this next week as a vacation. I, I got to get some things squared away. I said, okay. That week, I created MicroAnt. I started laying down the right? foundation. Yes, I, allowed, I, I started laying down the foundation of the company. I came up with the name. I came up with the cards. I came up with the org chart. I, came, I called a few customers. Uh, and to put it all together, I convinced myself that in time, if I stuck to it, I could generate a revenue. Mm-hmm. If this so, had not happened, you might have continued to have been an employee, although well compensated and rewarded and, and given all those things, you might have continued there? 
for some in, period of time? In all likelihood, yes, in all likelihood. It, it wasn't the money. It was the fact that he was doing something so utterly stupid. And, it, and I, who have had no next to no business acumen, I recognize it was stupid. And, and, mm -hmm. Short-sighted <laughs> at best. Yeah. Short-sighted at best. And so... I, you know, the, the $20,000 had nothing to do with it. What more was that he just did not value uh, any of my skills or contribution to the company. And I realized my, my entire career was, as, was in this person's hand, no different than a leaf being blown by the wind. Mm -hmm. Had he had a different approach, even said, look, th things are tight right now, but I think in time, you know, we can, you know, we can, uh, adjust compensations and bring you on more. And I have this plan for you and tell me a little bit about yourself. If he approached me as a human being, in all likelihood, I would have stuck with the company. Mm, interesting. So when someone you know now or comes to you and is challenged with this or struggling with this transition that they, they'd like to start a business, but they've got a good job or a good position or they've been there for a long time and they've got that safety net, they've got the benefits, all of those things. What, what advice do you give that person? Meaning, assuming, of course, you know, you talk about this in the book, that they're, the why that they want to go into business is strong. So they're, they're clear on that, but they're still hung up with letting go of this perceived security of that corporate job. Well, I do ask these uh, would-be entrepreneurs to ask themselves why they want to go into business. But I, I think the better question is, what is motivating them to go into business? I think... Being able to encapsulate that motivation is important because motivation is the one thing that is going to have to sustain you when you go through, try to navigate all the obstacles. Because logic, right, and fair play and good sense and experience, I don't know that they are as important as being with understanding what your motivation was my motivation was to you know to take charge of my own uh, destiny to leave your corporate philosophy behind and to establish a new way of doing business and uh you know but this idea of earning more money having more creative license uh that uh, uh being better appreciated th those were less important to me what drove me is i wasn't going back to that mm-hmm but you had your tipping point there that, that drove you there. Now, let's talk about this for a moment because it's a part of the challenge. And I, I often talk about this on the show. You, you mentioned in one of the morals, you know, one of the takeaways that you highlight in the book was this one. It says, quote, even the most brilliant ideas are subject to failing. Do not let this dissuade you from pursuing your dreams. The true value exists more in the process of developing your ideas and less so in the result, end quote. The challenge, however, is that that's, that's part of what we're fearing. And now I'm going to make this investment, leave my job, and this thing might fail. We are told over and over that failure is good. You know, again, within, within reason, if I put everything in and I fail, and that means I go homeless and my kids aren't going to go to school, that's too much. But nonetheless, we're told that failure is good. However, I think that our system, our education system, which trains us more to be an employee than an entrepreneur teaches us the opposite, that failure is not good. What are your thoughts on that? I think one of the things that are common to our entrepreneurs is they tend to be 
free thinkers, and they also tend to be risk takers. So they believe in something, and generally themselves or an idea or some notion that provides the impetus for them to push forward. Now, the risk, you pointed them out. At the time, you know, uh, I still had four children living at home, you know, mm. uh, my wife working as, as a nurse. So I certainly had a, a lot on the line. Um, and that was part of the thing that motiv motivated me as well, because the, the, I figured the, the more I had to lose, right, the, 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 the more I had to uh, push to win. So I can appreciate that. But if you are not willing to take the leap, and yet you have the motiva motivation, all the elements to launch uh, into entrepreneurship, then I, I advise break, break that leap down into smaller steps. And, and I've done this with a, a number of people I've known, and it has worked out really, really well for, for them. I mean, I took small steps, right, in, <laughs> over the course of a week. Um, but you can give uh, yourself a, a lot more time that you could spend, yeah. you know, a, a couple of months going through all the motions and getting the paper. I mean, the, the, the company down on paper, you know, laying down that roadmap, putting down the org chart and every, the elements of, uh, of, of a plan for business. So when you are ready, you're not scrambling, you know, to, to pull that all together. You already have the plan in place. You simply need to make the decision you know, to well up the resolve to execute it. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. The, the other way I interpret that, that we talk about often on this show is to scale down, you know, take an MVP approach if possible to launching your idea so that you minimize that risk or exposure. Does that make sense? It, it does make sense. And um, I think what you asked me about was uh, the moral, even the most brilliant ideas is sub uh, subject to failing. Um, but you know the true value is in the process. I was uh, that uh, you know comes from uh, one of my entrepreneurial uh, initiatives. I think I was about seven or eight years old when I got pine sap, and I would uh, take it from the trees. I would put it into tuna cans and I would melt it down hmm. into. You remember Sterno, that stuff that yep. uh, okay, that it's a chafing fuel, and I made it. For uh, for us to take on camping trips, and I call it sap pino because it was huh. it was sap. It came from a pine tree and was in the shape of an O. Um, the uh, we you know, we would take it out camping, and it worked pretty good. It produced a lot of smoke, you know. But <laughs> it, it, but uh, we went camping every day, so you know, I had to find other uses for this, so I could market it in my household. And two uses I came up with. One was I've, I've noticed if I put it on my shoes. Oh, it made my shoes nice and shiny and glistening. Mm. So I said, oh, wow, this is, it works great as a shoe shining agent. And then I said, I, I was really inspired because I was in the bathroom and I, in the medicine cabinet was a bottle of Vitalis. Do you know what Vitalis is? Yeah, it was a, like a hair uh, lotion or whatever, right? <laughs> yes, I'm showing my age. It was the stuff that was a greenish yellow. It looked like Gatorade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe it was Gatorade, but people would put it on. <laughs> Put it, people would put it on the hair, comb mm. it in place, and it would look perpetually wet. I so, see, the wet look. Yeah. yeah, the wet look, that's right. And so I said, well, you know, I will bet you, I said, I can make my hair shiny and hold mm. it in place, and it won't look wet oh, with my. the sap, sapino. And you know what? It was 
<laughs> almost a success. I put it in my hair and it was a consistency uh, when it was still in the, uh, the tuna can that I could apply to my hair and I could comb in. But what I didn't appreciate is what's exposed to the air, it became really, really tacky uh -huh. and it, it would set. So my hair now looked like it was, I was wearing a plastic wig <laughs> and, and not, not, not only could, uh, I could no longer run a comb through it. I couldn't shower it out or wash it out. Oh, anything gosh. for the longest time, anything that came into contact with my head, it would stick there. Oh no. And, and like if it was toilet paper, cotton balls, or you know, a, a dandelion, whatever, and so I would pull them away, but the remnants would still be there. And my mother would attempt to cut these things away, and I'd have these balls splashed. Oh, it looked awful, and I, oh my I had to, I had to sport this thing to school. But anyway, anyway, <laughs> the the reason I say that, I mean, that was clearly an idea that didn't didn't succeed, right. But just having an idea in the first place, mm -hmm. you know, any idea is just what sets things into motion. It's right. the beginning of the creative process. So, you know, taking steps to execute the idea, you know, in motion is the motion of the kinetic energy that gets us to our goals. And, and I, I think it might have been on your show that I heard the concept of idea flow, but I had, uh, you know, it, it's something that I really buy into and believe. And if you're familiar with the, the concept, the idea flow is, is taking that kinetic energy of thought you know, and mapping it into uh, pathways that bring you to the final uh, objectives. And at the same time, reducing risk and encouraging more ideas and creativity. So having ideas is cheap and easy, but leading to the process of, of building those ideas into uh, reality, that is where the actual value is because yeah. ideas, right, are cheap and easy to come That's by right. a That's dollar right. a dozen. Even great ideas might not necessarily make it, but less great ideas sometimes have enormous success. And it's the process of bringing them there that uh, is where the value lies. Yeah, that makes sense. That's that's what I found as well. That I mean, there are exceptions. If you know, you as an inventor, if you invent something that's a brilliant idea, okay, that's unique. But by and large, it's it's the lack of executing on whatever the idea is that holds us back. Obviously, because you could have an idea, but if you don't if you don't take action, then that's all it is is an idea. <laughs> that, that that's right. I mean, I'm certain that the ratio of ideas to uh, products is is probably well over 100 to one, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. meaning that I conceive of all kinds of thoughts and things that we can do and should do. Um, but I can't, unless I can establish a business case for it, or a path to market or a path to uh, eventual process and fruition, the idea is just an idea. But right. the process is there for the ideas that really stick and hold. And, and as you do, as you execute the process, I find that you get better and better at it, obviously. Not just you, but the company as a whole, because and seeing that now you, you are uh, getting a lot more of a collaboration from people and ideas tend to be a lot better when you have people collaborating and with their input. People f also uh, feel like they are contributing as part of a team, so they are more willing to share their ideas or to be involved in the creative process. And now you have 
everybody working together towards a common goal. And when that goes on, rather than people working in isolator and silos, success is far more likely to occur. Agreed. All right. Uh, Charles's book, again, is Lessons My Brothers Taught Me How to Transform Your Personal Qualities into a Successful Business. But I'm always looking for book recommendations. Is there another book or resource that comes to mind, Charles, that you would recommend? With respect to business, I, I think a uh, the book uh, Blue Ocean Strategy by Kim and Mogburn mm -hmm. had, I think they make a really good point uh, on getting into a marketplace in which you can distinguish yourself other than just price, meaning that you bring some sort of competitive edge to your product or service. So you're uh, you are delivering it in a unique way. I would say that my company, MicroAnt, does exactly that, although I did not read that book until years and years <laughs> until after launching the company. So it's a little bit ironic or fortuitous that uh, we ended up doing that. So I think that that uh, book is a is a must read for anybody in you know in any stage of their business. Now, with respect to personal character, this isn't really a business book, but there's a, a book called The Four Agreements by Miguel Ruiz, and it was one of those books that had an enormous impact me on me. Uh, the Four Agreements is all about building character, how to view the world and yourself, and how to participate. Uh, in it, in a way that's meaningful and valuable, and uh, you not be dragged down by all the noise, as they call it. So uh, I would say those two books I would recommend to anybody in in, in any uh, uh, in any field of uh, you know of occupation. Agreed. Thank you for those recommendations. We'll have link to Charles's book as well as those two recommendations on the show notes page of this episode at thehowabusiness.com. We'll wrap it up here, Charles. What's, what's one thing you want us to take away from this conversation we've had related to your book, you know, this concept, again, of turning your personal qualities to help you start a successful business? What, what's one thing you would have us take away? Do not underestimate the value of character. And be aware of the character traits in yourself that you can use to your advantage. And of those in others, to help determine whether or not they are a person that you want to interact and transact with. Now, notice I didn't say really anything about business or company or, or entrepreneurship. I think this is just a good life lesson to anyone to really be mindful of character, know who you are and know who that you are dealing with. Uh, that will lead to, I think, a pathway of least obstacles, least risk, and most likelihood of achieving whatever objective that you might have set. Yeah, love that. Thanks for sharing that. Where do you want us to go online to learn more, either about micro ants and, and the book as well? Um, I have a website called charlesmccarrick.com. And on there is a link to web uh, micro ant as well as core composites and core precision and sortie moon and uh, other enterprises that, uh, that, that I've launched. So I think you can get it all right there. There's also some videos uh, related to the forest transform and ways of uh, it, to communicate with me about the book. I 
I accept and delight in answering any questions and any feedback. Um, it also, it, it too is a work in progress and participation uh, from others. I, I highly value. Excellent. And we'll have that link as well on the show notes page. And again, McCarrick is M-C-C-A-R-R-I-C-K, correct? That's correct. Excellent. Charles, wonderful conversation. Thanks for uh, indulging all my questions. Glad to have gotten an advanced copy of the book for me to review. Thanks for being with me today. Oh, thank you, Henry. It was it was a real blast and went much faster than I had played in my <laughs> mind ahead of time. But I guess that's a you know that's just a uh, a sign of a really good conversation. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. This is Henry Lopez, and thanks for joining me on this episode of The How of Business. My guest today again was Charles McCarrick. We release new episodes every Monday morning, and you can find, listen, and subscribe to my show anywhere you listen to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or at my website, thehowofbusiness.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information about our coaching programs, online courses, show notes pages, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.